Welcome to Deep Broadway, where you get the luxury of listening to your favorites on Broadway wherever you are. With Eli and Ashley. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Z Broadway and check out our site at zbroadway.com for updates and new episodes. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi everyone! Thank you so much for coming back to listen to Z Podway. We're so excited to have you here um, today. We are going to be speaking with Evan Alexander Smith, who is currently a vacation vacation cover for a little shop of horrors that is off Broadway right now. Um, hi, Evan. <laughs> hey, hey, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm, of course. Yeah, we're so excited to be talking to you, especially because, like. 10 minutes or so ago, you learned that you were going to be Seymour all week, which is incredible because, <laughs> um, you know, more people get to see you in this role, which is amazing. Just because, first of all, your performance as Seymour is just so good. I got to see it for, like when I went to New York and I had like the best time ever. Um, Thank so you. Guess, Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> yeah. To start off, um, kind of just how was your the beginning um, journey with the show, like kind of how was your audition process? Um, how did this um, project just kind of come your way? Yeah, I I have had, um, uh, I don't want to say a relationship with, but I've known um, the casting director for the show um, for the better part of, gosh, 12, 13 years now. Um, I first met Jim Carnahan, who's the casting director for this production, uh, when I was 19, auditioning for the national, uh, an open call of the national tour of Spring Awakening, back like the first production of Spring Awakening before the revival um, uh, in Toronto, Canada, where I'm from. Um, and I didn't get that job, but I got very close and I met Michael Mayer, who's the director of Little Shop of Horrors. Um, and sort of kept in touch with Jim over the years. And when I moved to New York City in uh, 2013, um, he and I became friends and I started to work for him as an audition reader, which is, um, if, if people don't know, usually when an actor auditions for a role on TV or in theater anywhere, there's another actor who they hire to sort of sit in the corner and um, enact the scenes with them. Um, so I uh, have been an audition reader for Jim uh, for gosh, five or six years now. Um, and we've gotten to know each other really well. And usually if there's something that I'm kind of a good fit for, um, he'll bring me in to audition for it, or he'll sort of find a way to like, have me be the reader for it and introduce me to the team that way, which is, you know, he'll be sneaky like that. Um, <laughs> when, when this production of Little Shop of Horrors was first, um, seeing actors, um, I was on tour with um, The Play That Goes Wrong in Los Angeles. And I um, and so I didn't have the opportunity to audition for it. Um, and I remember thinking I would really love to do that at some point if it ever, um, if they were ever looking for replacements or if that came back around. Um, and then uh, the pandemic happened. Um, so uh, everything shut down and uh, you know, luckily, Little Shop of Horrors, this incredible production of the show, um, announced that it was going to reopen. Um, and shortly afterwards, they they sort of um, done a, a bit of a head count of people who were interested in coming back, people who had um, who were still in the city, people who had left the city and maybe found new passions. Um, and um, the vacation swing track um, became available. Um, so Josh Daniel, who is now the um, full-time 
um, offstage singer, ensemble, understudy, Seymour, dentist, puppeteer. Um, he had been the vacation cover before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and he bumped up into the full-time role and um, I replaced him as the vacation cover. So, um, and how it came to me, I guess was sort of in, in most regards, the same as like anything else. I just kind of got the call and auditioned. I'm sure Jim had me sort of in the back of his head at, at some point, just because casting directors develop sort of relationships with uh, actors and uh, like professional relationships with um, people they enjoy their work or um, who they know are very well prepared. And so, um, yeah, I got the call uh, sort of at the beginning of June, I think it was, um, and they gave me a couple of scenes to do, and it was all remote, so we we mm -hmm. did what's called the self-tape, um, and I sent that in, and then a couple of weeks later, I had, it was my first time, it was my first in-person audition was the callback, um, mm -hmm. I, I, sort of after that first phase of the pandemic had come through, uh, again, sort of late June, early July, I think it must have been, and um, found out that I got the job and then started rehearsals with everybody in August, so. Yeah, um, and how has the rehearsal process been for you guys? Because obviously, you know, being a cover, um, you have to rehearse on times where the show is obviously not going on. Um, and with COVID and everything, has it kind of altered how the rehearsal process has been? Has it been harder or just easier? Is um, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We uh, we have a fantastic COVID safety team and our producers and our general management have done a really good job at making sure that we're super well taken care of um, and that, you know, all of the best protocols are being followed. Even before, uh, I think at the time we'd started rehearsals, they hadn't yet had for um, the Off-Broadway League a set of rules and procedures specifically for off-Broadway yet for COVID. Um, but our producers followed the sort of Broadway rule book to a T, made sure that everything was, you know, really, really well taken care of. So it, was, it felt very safe from day one. Um, and the rehearsal process kind of felt, I mean, it's interesting because everybody had done, uh, so much of the, the cast was returning. And so, so many of them had done the show for, um, you know, six months, I think it was before the shutdown. Um, so you, it was really kind of interesting watching everybody sort of like um, get back into their shoes and and see how it felt again for the first time. Um, COVID didn't really have like a huge impact on the rehearsal process. There were certain things that um, that you know we would typically have in a rehearsal process, like uh, props and stuff that we weren't able to use during this rehearsal process because of the sanitization requirements for mm -hmm. COVID. So like for instance, uh, Seymour. Um, has, uh, we call it pod two. It's the second appearance of, of the Audrey two after she's grown a little bit in the show. And he sings a song called You Never Know with uh, pod two in his arms. And that's something that because it fits, it, it, it because of how big it is, it has to fit onto a costume. And uh, because it can't be cleaned um, uh, really easily, none of the understudies uh, had a chance to actually try try on that puppet um before we had to perform neither josh or i so oh. um i don't think i still don't think i've actually had a rehearsal in that puppet just because it's so difficult to disinfect and and mm -hmm. clean and for the for the sort of safety of everybody we sort of like rehearse with our hands um <laughs> pretending it's a puppet uh and then just sort of like 
hope for the best when we go on. So like tonight when I, you know, our, our stage manager is really great about uh, giving us time before the show if we're going on to sort of look at things. And that's always the top of the list is, is trying on pod two and, and going through that. So, um, but that's the only real sort of change to the rehearsal process. Everything else kind of felt the same, but um, but safer. You know, we were wearing masks and, um, and you know, keeping clean and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and that's crazy with the um, with pod two, like not getting to rehearse for that because I have seen like the TV performances and obviously when you did it, when I saw the show, um, and it's like extremely, you have to really commit to what you're doing. Yeah. So I can imagine like only having done it a few times, that must just be kind of crazy. You're just going all out like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure it's, good. <laughs> it's funny, you know, like I've, I've, I've understudied quite a bit and it's kind of like, the, I mean, you know, it's uh, with this show with the very kind of specific uh, puppetry stuff and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult, but I think most understudies have that experience, um, no matter what show they're in, no matter, you know, during a pandemic or not, it always kind of feels like you're being um, thrown in at the last minute with, um, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily all of the tools you would like to have had or all of the rehearsal you would have liked to have had or as, as in-depth work um, before your first performance. But that's kind of the amazing thing about understudies is they're ready to go no matter what. And it's it's so much of the time our job to be um, self-prepared, you know? So. Yeah, um, and can you talk a little bit about being a vacation swing and kind of explaining to the listeners just kind of what that is and what that entails just because, um, I think not a lot of people really understand what that is. Um, and it's just such a complicated thing to uh, think about. Yeah, um, I, I didn't understand what it was until I got the job and started figuring out what I had to do. Um, so a vacation cover, um, it, it can vary depending on the size of the show and the size of the ensemble, um, because our show is um, mostly just principals. Um, we have uh, like Seymour, the dentist, Moshnik, Audrey, and our three urchins. Um, and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody else. Um, oh, and obviously the voice of Audrey too, who doesn't appear on stage. Um, uh, because it's it's mostly principles, our, our, our job is a little bit different. Um, but to, to break it down the way it would normally sort of work, if you had a vacation swing who was covering an ensemble, um, that person's job is to learn um, a track or a set of tracks um, that they would cover in case of a scheduled absence or an emergency. Um, so in this case, I'm primarily there to cover scheduled absences. Um, so if somebody, if if Christian Borle gets a big movie job um, that's going to take him out of town for a week, um, my I either myself. Teddy or Josh, who are the three understudies for Oren, we would either split that time or one of them would go in and I would cover them because I also cover Josh, who's the offstage singer and the puppeteers. Um, or, you know, uh, in the case of an emergency, uh, you know, certainly something we're living through right now with COVID and dealing with trying to avoid shutdowns. Um, I was supposed to, uh, well, I wasn't supposed to anything, I guess. I, I I was not scheduled to be here for all of December and had made plans to go home with my family in Canada. Um, and, you know, when Omicron sort of um, started really asserting itself here in New York, um, I got a sort of call from the producers asking if I could be on contract just as a precautionary measure um, in case um, in case anything were to happen so that they would uh, avoid having to cancel any shows. Mm -hmm. um, so so sometimes it's something that you know quite a bit ahead of time. Um, 
like the weekend that you were in town, I knew that I was going to be covering the offstage singing track. Yeah. Um, but it ended up being a surprise that Jeremy ended up getting ill that weekend. And so I ended up stepping in for, um, for Jeremy as well. Um, in this instance, yeah, I had no sort of warning that I was going to be on contract. Uh, and initially it was just for three weeks and then I was just extended an additional two weeks. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the nature of it. It's very, um, uh, you're kind of on call all the time, but when you're not on contract, you're free to pursue other work. Um, you can be a vacation cover at multiple shows. There was a story I remember reading on the Ensemblist blog, I think last year of uh, a, uh, a woman who was a vacation cover at four different shows wow. um, before the pandemic, um, which is incredible. Oh, I think, um, um, I think it was Maria Briggs. That sounds right. Yeah, because um, we did like a small Q&A with her um, a while back. And I remember just talking to her about how crazy that was, how she was like doing a lot of overlapping. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine, because I think she was covering ensemble roles. You know, my job is fairly easy. I just cover, basically I cover Seymour Oren and then a small offstage singing track. I'm, I'm a, 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 my contract says that I cover the puppeteers, but I think that is a very sort of worst case scenario uh, <laughs> situation. Um, but I, you know, to have to cover, so a typical vacation cover would be covering an ensemble usually, mm -hmm. um, which means multiple tracks, um, multiple ensemble tracks, um, which is my brain. I don't think I could ever do. Um, I, I've, I've never swung in the traditional sense, like swung an ensemble where you're covering four or five different ensemble roles with different choreography or the same choreography, but on different sides with slightly different variations that I think would um, make my brain explode. But um, <laughs> But this job is, yeah, primarily I'm just there um, in case of scheduled absences or emergencies for um, for Seymour Oren and the offstage singer. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you, when you're just at home and obviously you're not in contract with the show, how do you kind of just keep all those different tracks in your head? Because obviously, you know, you're covering more principles, but there's a lot that entails for each of the roles. So how do you just review it when you're home? I mean, I was talking to my family and they were like, how does he cover so many people and he's not even in the show all the time? Like, that's <laughs> insane. Uh, so how do you just kind of make sure it's all still there? Yeah, it's it's really tough actually. You know, so if the, the if you have a full-time job in a show uh, and you're understudying, you'd be called to understudy rehearsal usually twice a week, usually on Thursday and Friday afternoons for uh, typically it's like four hours. So enough time to run the show and get notes on it with the other understudies. Um, but again, because I'm not in the show regularly, I uh, I typically go like, uh, I think five or six weeks between contracts, um, I think has been about what I've been doing uh, over the course of this fall and winter. So, um, you know, luckily ahead of this week's performance, I got to, I did one afternoon running Seymour uh, last week and one afternoon running Oren last week. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had touched either of those parts in, uh, in five weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's a little stressful, um, but I have I have a, an app on my phone called Line Learner. Um, so I've recorded all of each of the characters' lines and everybody who speaks to them. Um, so it takes a long time going through the script, but I have sort of both sides of every scene um, so I can run lines with myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then the music, for me, music tends to stick in my head, um, which, you know, uh, the performance you saw, I mangled the lyrics so badly in the opening number that it, it, it sounds ridiculous that I'm saying stuff sticks in my head, but music is usually fine. Like I have, a, I, I have an easier time remembering um, like melodies and vocal lines of things. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's a lot of it is just getting it in your body, which is hard. You know, with Seymour, um, it's much more physical, at least this production, it's much more physical than um, it looks, I think. Um, and it really zaps you. Um, and vocally, um, certainly. So we, we tend to try to follow whatever, um, you know, uh, there are variations between the different Seymours in terms of um, notes that they might option up or yeah. little licks or, you know, just sort of feels for things. And to not throw any of the rest of the cast off, I at least try to do something pretty similar. Um, you know, obviously we all have our own takes and I'm very different from Jeremy and I'm very different from Josh, who's the other understudy. Yeah. Um, and each of us, you know, if we had tried to do the same thing, it would it would be it would look bad. It wouldn't be fun or good. Um, but I do try to sort of, uh, you know, if Jeremy sings the A at the end of The Meat Shall Inherit, I try to sing that A just because it all sort of fits into the composition of the thing that they've created. And then when Conrad starts next week, we'll figure out what um, Seymour's going to look like when Conrad's in the show. And then, you know, we try to sort of navigate that and blend what we sort of naturally bring to it with what specifically um, they're doing musically or movement wise that might affect the rest of the cast um so yeah i i run lines with myself i um i listen to the the cast recording i learned the show from the cast recording which um is unique because i you know i've never had that experience where i'm learning a show that has been uh, i've replaced before but never in a musical like this that has a recording that has a cast that's sort of been doing it for a while um but that's basically it, you know? And then you just sort of hope that everything that you've worked on uh, is still there when you come back. And I think because I had I had so long, you know, I was with them from August 15th through October 15th, I think initially. Um, so I was, I had quite a bit of time with the show to learn it and to get to know what people were doing and to get comfortable. So a lot of it is kind of uh, muscle memory at this point. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Just kind of, you know, making sure it's always there uh, anytime that they need you. Um, and with Conrad coming in, is there is it like kind of tricky when new people are coming in, or just I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience yet, but just being um, with the cast and all that stuff, is it a big adjustment? Do you think, or does it all kind of just fit into place? It's, I mean, I haven't had that experience with this show, so I'm anxious to see, actually. Um, you know, uh, this show and a lot of shows that have been running for a while, there um, there is a kind of template that, um, not that, like, anybody's expected to do anything particular. And certainly, you know, people who saw Jonathan Groff or um, Gideon Glick and then saw Jeremy, you know, it's three massively different performances. So certainly there's so much room for interpretation. But mm -hmm. the form of it is... Um, is similar like the staging of it is generally about the same unless somebody has you know a very specific idea about what you know they think they they might want to do that is is different but for the most part it's it's um it's not like it's fitting into a mold i don't want to say that because that implies a kind of like lack of creativity but there is a um a form to it um yeah. that then you know you learn to sort of um bend yourself into which certainly was my experience coming to it um an established company, um, you know, when I had first gone on for Seymour, it was about, okay, so there's this thing where, how do I fit into the thing as opposed to trying to reshape the thing around um, a new, a new actor. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I guess now is a good time to kind of just um, transfer to talking about the play that goes wrong and kind of Yay. your experience being on tour. 
Um, so can I kind of like Little Shop, can you just talk about your audition process? How'd you first hear about the show? How'd you first get involved? Um, and kind of all that. Yeah. I, so the, uh, the first time I saw the show, um, I saw the original um, British company when they had first opened on Broadway because it played in the West End for uh, a few years. And then um, that original company, the, the original group who created it, um, Mischief, um, they all came over and they did the show for, I think, like six months before um, uh, a bunch of Americans took over. Um, so mm -hmm. I saw that original British company. A friend of mine had a free ticket that they'd gotten. Sometimes uh, Actors Equity, our union, back when you could go to things in person, they had a ticket window, basically, where if there were shows that um, were trying to get word of mouth around or that were early in previews, you could get a free ticket. Um, so we got, a, we got our free equity tickets and um, we had like, seats as far back as you can be in the Lyceum Theater and um, the house manager moved us because they were there were two cancellations that were down in the orchestra and they wanted to sort of consolidate wow. so we got moved down to these incredible seats um, and it was like the funniest play I'd ever seen in my life um, and I had just come from doing a very British Farsi play um, out of town so it was kind of the headspace I was already in um, and it was like super down my um, like my alley in terms of humor. Um, uh, I went to I went to a, a theater school in Canada that was uh, it was a, a straight classical acting program that was very uh, text heavy and very sort of focused on British writers because um, you know it's Canada and um, you know we have much more of a, a sort of tradition from from Britain. Uh, so I'd had a lot of I'd, I'd studied a lot of that kind of humor and a lot of that uh, world. Um, Anyways, so I saw it, I loved it, um, didn't think anything more about it. I wasn't sure there was a part for me in it. Um, and then it must have been about a year or two later, they started seeing people for the national tour. And I had been out of town doing a musical in Chicago. Um, and they were able to work it out that I could come and do my audition the day after that job ended. So I, I, I flew that morning at 6 a.m., went directly to the audition. Uh, bags under my eyes, completely dead asleep. But I guess it kind of worked for Chris Bean, who's supposed to be very sort of grumpy and temperamental. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was kind of fast and furious. It was a nice quick audition process, but it was a lot. It was uh, over the course of a month, I think it was four or five auditions. So there was one where it was just me doing um, a monologue from the top of the show. And then the second one was um, they they gave us a couple of scenes to do and they had actors from the Broadway company come and uh, sort of fill it out in the room. So I mentioned before, I'm an audition reader often and I'm sitting in a corner, just sitting in a chair, reading the scenes with actors. Uh, for that second audition, they had people up on their feet. We were staging things. It was oh. very unique. Yeah, that and it never happens that way. But I think because it's such a physical show. Oh, yeah. And nailing the humor is so important they wanted to see sort of how people reacted with other actors um so i did that and then um the next week there was a big uh group audition there were, must have been uh, i think they did four of these auditions they and they were seeing about 100 actors and they split us into groups of uh, of like 25 each and they rotated us in and out in different groups so you know i would be chris with a whole cast of other goes wrong people and then they would rotate me out with another chris and you know and they just sort of were seeing who fit together and we're trying out different combinations of people and it was really fun it was really collaborative you would think that it would kind of be like a nightmare sort of um watching the people that are auditioning for the same role as you um do a much better job than you which 100 they were um but it was um it was so much fun it felt like collaboration there was no sense of competition um they 
I think because they were looking for a really strong group of people who would all get along really well, they found like just a really solid group of people. And I think in my group, um, I want to say like at least three quarters of them ended up in the show in various productions at some point. Um, so then I think that the following week was the final audition, which was on stage at the Lyceum Theater on the Broadway set. Mm-hmm. which again, never happens. Um, you know, it used to be like a thing in the seventies and eighties, you know, like old school Broadway, you'd have your final audition on the stage. Um, but now, you know, it's always in a studio. Um, you're never in the theater. So, um, and again, it was kind of the same thing. They narrowed that group of a hundred down to a group of about 20 people. Um, so, uh, and we all, it was, <laughs> we all sat in the basement, um, like the dark and sort of dreary Broadway basement of the Lyceum Theater um, and made, you know, small talk. And um, and over the course of four or five hours, they would bring us up in small groups and just, again, try different people out, um, give us a chance to play around on the set, um, you know, getting hit with the shield that people have seen the show is a big moment or um, there's a second level um, that sometimes people may have to jump off of or fall off of. They wanted to check our comfortability there and just sort of get a sense of people's like theatricality. And it was really fun and really unique. And um, and I, I remember when I left, um, uh, feeling like I'd made a bunch of friends just, you know, hanging out, doing the thing. And I got home and my wife asked how it went. And I said, I don't know. I mean, I had a lot of fun and I felt like I sort of did everything I hoped I would get to do. And if if nothing comes from it, you know, I felt like I had like a really fun audition experience this month. Um, and then uh, about four or five days later, I found out I got the job and, um, and yeah, I was elated. It was, I mean, just, you know, it, at, at that point it was, it was a dream job for me. It was, I'd never done, um, sort of a Broadway scale play in the United States. I'd done some plays in regional theater, but um, getting to do um, a non-musical for a nice long chunk was a really great treat. And again, to get to do my favorite comedy of all time for a year with some of the best actors in the country was, I mean, just, um, I felt so, so lucky. Yeah, I absolutely loved the show. Um, I thought it was just hilarious and all the, you know, the hitting of the shield and all the physical comedy was just especially, just amazing because I did see it from like the front row at the Amundsen and so it just made everything like very immersive and just everyone looked like they were having a lot of fun (laughs) and it was definitely one of my favorite theater experiences just ever um and especially because you you guys all came out afterwards and said hi and we you know and I guess that's kind of also why we're here today (laughs) just talking to each other um because of that connection from so long ago um so can you kind of talk about you know, being on tour, um, just that experience of moving around constantly, especially with the set being very intricate and very um, complicated. Like, did it, was it kind of hard to adjust to each of the different locations that you were at? Yeah, it was interesting because the show feels to me like uh, the sh- where it's playing, the theater it's playing in right now in the West End, I think is like 300 seats. Like it's very small. I- I'm And I'm, I'm probably way off there, but it's a very small theater. <laughs> Um, and where it's playing right now in New York at uh, New World Stages Off-Broadway, again, is a, is a very small theater. And I kind of think that's where it works best when you've got a bunch of people who are having that kind of front row immersive experience like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it so much of the show feels like it's happening around you. And there was, um, I'm not sure how they're handling this. I, I haven't been back to see it since um, performances resumed. But um there's a sort of pre-show where actors are interspersed with the audience and having fun out in the house. And um, and I hope that that's still happening in some way safely. Um, 
but I, yeah, again, I think a small a small theater is kind of the best um, place for this show. And the Amundsen felt like a perfect sort of space for it. But you know, we played anywhere from um, the smaller theater at the Kennedy Center. I think was my favorite, and that was just under a thousand seats. To like, I think the largest we played was like thirty five hundred seats. Um, and so it's, yeah, you kind of have to adapt your performance for the size of the space because, you know, the comedy a lot of the times can feel like it thrives um, when it's smallest. It's that kind of cringe humor where like one small look is often all anything needs to work. Yeah. But, you know, when people are a football field away from you, um, <laughs> you have to find ways to, to um, sell those comedic moments without it looking like, um, like a giant sort of, you know, insane clown show, I guess. Um, <laughs> and that took a long time to kind of figure out, you know, figure out how to how to make those small moments work in a big space. Um, and, you know, and how to stay kind of fresh in each space um, so that you didn't get locked into one specific way of doing things that didn't work in every theater. Um, but it was in terms of the actual show, it was amazing to see that like, no matter what size theater we were in, no matter what part of the country we were in, the humor worked everywhere we went. It was always funny. People always loved it, which was incredible, you know? And, um, you know, it's like you you just, you you never know how it's going to play, especially when it's the first time that the show is, it's not a show that people had been able to see in their regional theaters yet. It was the first yeah. time the show was getting anywhere. So it was really amazing to sort of watch people respond to this like very British um, comedy. Um, mm -hmm all over the States, but it was so much fun and people really, really uh, responded to it so well and connected with it. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a really fun experience. Yeah, I'm sure. And I guess it's kind of like um, Little Shop in a way where it works for a very small venue, um, being off Broadway for a Little Shop, getting, I've never been to an off Broadway show before I saw Little Shop of Horrors. And it was just like a very intimate, very um, small experience because I was in the third row. Um, and so it was just really fun being so close to the actors. I remember like when Christian Borle like came to the front and you just look petrified in the back um, <laughs> on the dentist chair. Like he was just, even being in the third row is like, he's right there and then you're right there also like reacting to everything yeah. um and it just it made everything um just really 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 fun um being on off-broadway and i'm like no i have to go see all the other off-broadway shows if i can yeah yeah. I mean, that's my favorite thing about show. I mean, Broadway and off-Broadway, the really great thing about seeing theater in New York is that um, the theaters are so small so much of the time. Like, I think the biggest theater, I think the Gershwin's got to be one of the biggest ones. And I feel like yeah. it's like 1,800 seats where Wicked is. Mm -hmm. um, and that by like touring house, uh, like touring theater size is, uh, is very small, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like no matter where you sit in a Broadway or off-Broadway show um you get this great intimate experience um and especially again like with a, a show like little shop or or play that goes wrong at new world um when you're never more than like 50 feet away from the furthest audience member there's just this kind of immediacy um that is uh lovely and um and i think the fun with little shop is that it still to me feels like this very big show mm. um but and it, and it feels like it reaches all the way to the back of the theater but uh, you know, if you turn on all the lights, it's one set. It's a small little thing that the the there's not an inch of space on that stage that isn't used because we're mm -hmm. sort of filling the entire thing with how you know big our set is and how small the the theater is. 
um, you get the, anyways, you just get these incredible experiences. Um, and I think, you know, the gift of intimacy um, and the, the sort of give and take between a theater and an audience in a small, or an audience and a, and a group of actors in a small theater is, um, is the best, you know, I'm having so much fun doing this show. Yeah. Do you ever, um, <laughs> like, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen? Just like looking out in the audience. Cause obviously, you know, you can see everybody pretty much like you're not invisible if you're in the audience and the lights yeah. are off. Um, it's still pretty visible. Like, is there anything kind of just ridiculous, like any reactions to specific things with the plant, especially coming so close to the people um, that you've gotten to see? <laughs> you know, my favorite, I think one of my favorite moments of the show, um, just as an actor enjoying it, is when I get to do Josh's offstage singer track. Mm. Um, there, uh, the offstage singers at the very end of the show, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say there are two windows on our set. And at the very end of the show, um, they're sort of up on, on a second level. We climb ladders and we, uh, we hang out for the final number and we're singing and you can see through the windows, the entire audience. Um, and it is so much fun to watch them watching the final number. Um, I don't want to give away what happens. I don't think it's a huge spoiler, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, Audrey too, as it says in the lyrics comes for the audience. Um, and watching that moment every night, watching the first two rows um, is just like so delightful. But you know, the best thing about it is watching like how much fun everybody's having, like the the giant smiles on everyone's face. Well, I guess I can't with their masks, but you can see it in their eyes. <laughs> um, you know, the giant kind of like expression of happiness that you that you get from people just watching them enjoy the show or be scared or turn to the person beside them and point at the stage, you know, just seeing them experience it is uh, is my favorite thing. It always brings a giant smile to my face. Um, but when I, you know, when I've been on for Seymour and stuff, it's, I, I'm always just so sort of glued on whatever's happening on stage because I've this, uh, because I've only done it three times. I'm yeah. still sort of hyper-focused on, on, um, on the actors around me in the set. Um, I, I haven't really had a chance to check in with the audience ever, um, <laughs> even though they're so close. The, I mean, Seymour has a moment at the very end where again, he's able to sort of have some fun with the audience, but um, for a lot of the time, it's just listening to them um, when I'm doing that track, so. Yeah. <laughs> I the again it was just one of my favorite brought like Broadway experiences um ever and so kind of more a fun like lighthearted question is like what is your favorite costume in the show because obviously at the very end you're kind of a plant and it's like <laughs> I find those costumes so just like fun to look at and it's just great when you're all just like standing you and like Audrey and Oren and um, Mishnik. um so do you have like a favorite costume in the show I mean the ghillie suit at the end is a lot of fun um <laughs> I mean like getting to do any of like the Oren I, I haven't performed this role yet but you know in rehearsal and having fittings and stuff like uh, all of the Oren track stuff is so much fun like the Mrs. Luce costume um, oh, yeah. <laughs> is is a lot of uh, fun and you know you uh, you know the dentist is not um, uh, a cool guy he's an awful person but you feel like so cool and uh, and powerful when you put on a set of motorcycle boots and a moto jacket um, right. and that giant pompadour um, is is a lot of fun even though you're playing literally the worst person alive um, <laughs> yeah I don't know I, I like, uh, yeah, pr probably something in the, the Meek Shell and Herit sort of trio of, of Christian stuff. Um, those are all really fun to, to play in. Mm -hmm. And have you gotten to rehearse like all his um, just insane quick changes, just going to like 
get back and forth. <laughs> I haven't, but um, I know when when uh, so Josh went on uh, two weeks ago, I think two or three weeks ago, and he hadn't before. Um, he hadn't had a chance to do the quick changes before uh, the show because, oh as I mentioned, often with understudies, um, it's because there's so many other things going on. Um, sometimes you just kind of get to do stuff as it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know Josh had a lot of fun trying to figure all of that out for the first time. And I think he finally <laughs> got, he got rehearsal again after he'd gotten to do it because he did both shows that day. And so they reviewed it, but um, no, I haven't. And I don't, uh, I, I don't look forward to, to the day when I have to personally make those quick changes work because they look very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I remember when we saw the show, um, we're all like, wait, Every single person is just Christian Borrell, just like going back and forth. Um, and even at the beginning, when he like went in to go talk to you and like steal your um, the dollar off the wall, we were like, I my brother was like, wait, is that Christian? I was like, yeah, it was. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. All the quick changes for Oren are absolutely just hilarious and very unexpected as well. Yeah, um, they do a really good job disguising him. Like it's funny, like with, because we have sort of big stars in our show, mm -hmm. um, often like uh, Tammy will get like a big entrance applause and Jeremy will get a big entrance applause. Um, but Christian, part of it because is because he's coming out in the middle of a number, but Christian often won't get his big, hey, it's Christian Borrell entrance applause mm -hmm. until the little cameo he makes as the shop customer about, yeah. 10 or 15 minutes into the show, that's the first time people usually recognize him. Um, he's often so unrecognizable as the wino, which is what that, that <laughs> role is, that you know, people have no idea it's him. Um, so that's fun too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and do you have like a favorite song to perform in the show? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I. Uh, it's funny. I I was not somebody who grew up with Little Shop. Um, I didn't have like the sentimental attachment that a lot of people have to it. I hadn't listened to any recording of the show, um, until the time I auditioned for it. So, like, I I'm very fresh to all of this. Um, oh gosh, but there's so many. I mean, like the uh, Skid Row, the sort of. Uh, non-open like there's the we have a prologue and then there's the opening number sort of officially I think which is Skid Row yeah. and Seymour's final um sort of half of that song uh is I think like some of the most heart-wrenching stuff in the show his like yearning to get out of Skid Row I've always found really beautiful um I really love there's a kind of like mini um I don't know what you would call it like uh soliloquy in the meek shall inherit for Seymour um where he's deciding whether or not he should sign these contracts and he has this giant moral dilemma and it's staged very melodramatically in our show. Um, I've always loved, loved that moment. Um, uh, I mean, I like the, the Seymour stuff. I just, I love singing like the, the, the Oren stuff is also is, is a lot of fun, but musically, I think um, it's like hit after hit with Seymour. I mean, singing, get it with, Aaron or um, Salome and Avina who understudy that role, who are mm -hmm. insanely talented, all three of them, you know, getting to sing, get it is amazing. Um, Mushnik and Sun is like so much fun for the little dance that we get to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to pick one because I love all of them for different reasons, but um, it's for Seymour, I think for me, a lot of what, a lot of my way into the role was finding the heart of it. And, mm -hmm. um, figuring out those places where I could really emotionally connect with it instead of um, maybe relying on um, some of the humor of it because it's so wildly funny, but really finding those emotional moments and mining those has been um, my favorite part of it. So those musical moments like that end of Skid Row or, or the soliloquy and Meek are, 
are kind of the two that I think of first. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you have any advice for young performers, I guess, like myself or like Eli, who couldn't be here today? Um, just because now you've performed this iconic role, you know, a few times and now you get to do it over and over again all week. Yeah. Um, do you just have any advice for aspiring performers? You know, I never know how to answer this because, you know, uh, there's everybody kind of has a different path. So like for me, I was I was a big musical theater dork all through high school. Like I listened to every cast album I could and I imitated voices, which is probably not the best way to learn how to sing. Um, <laughs> but like that was how I sort of fell in love with performing was by listening to like Anthony Warlow on the Jekyll and Hyde concept album or like Les Mis was huge for me and Into the Woods, you know, and just devouring those um, and reading a ton. I read plays like every week I was reading something from, I went to a performing arts high school. So we had this great library of plays and I was always checking out something and reading. So I always think like growing your, um, not even necessarily your knowledge, but your taste, I think is really important. Like I had a teacher who told me when I was in college, you should try to go and see or read or listen to as much as you can, because you're going to, you know, really connect with some things. And then there's other stuff that you really are not going to enjoy at all. And it's really good to, to, to have both of those experiences because it forms a sort of Um, taste of what you enjoy seeing, but also it helps kind of shape the kind of actor that you want to um, maybe become or emulate. Um, So I always think the more you can get out and see stuff, the more you can read stuff, the more you can listen to stuff, just to build that foundation of what kind of performer am I? What kind of performer do I want to be? What is the kind of, um, you know, the kind of work that I really connect with? Do I like musicals? Do I like plays? Do I like to be in really heavy dramas? Do I like comedies? You know, um, like exposure to the arts, if you have access to them, I think is um, is just the most important thing. And then, you know, people will say anything about, you know, there are a lot of different opinions about training. Um, I, I went to a, a three-year conservatory in Canada, and it's easy for me to advocate for training because in Canada, tuition is um, like a fraction of a fraction of what it costs yeah. in the United States, you know? So I, I had a small scholarship, but I think my tuition for the entire conservatory was uh, like $12,000. So, you know, uh, a few thousand a year to, to you know, uh, go to one of the best conservatories in the country. That same education here in the United States is, you know, like to, to go to NYU or to, you know, um, any of these other top BFA programs is like a $200,000 investment. So I think... That is uh, a discussion or, or, you know, something that is not super black and white in this country. And I would never advocate that anybody go, um, you know, deeply into debt to learn how to perform because there are all kinds of different paths. Um, and mm-hmm. I would say that, yeah, obviously, I, I built a really strong foundation in college and it was massively formative and important, but I've learned so much on the job, too. So yeah. um, I would just say do it as much as you can do community theater, do theater in your high school or your college if you can. Um, but yeah, read, listen, exposure um, and, and get involved in whatever you can, even if that means, you know, starting, you know, in, uh, off stage and seeing how you enjoy that and, you know, learning what everybody does. Um, and what you sort of gravitate to most. I just think um, being as involved as you can um, in theater or acting of whatever kind is is the best advice I can get. Just throw yourself in there. Yeah, I think that's good advice, you know, just making sure you're, you know, taking a lot of it in and 
kind of forming how you know you're gonna perform um after that and so next do you have a dream role that you're like dying to play (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh no you know i don't it's funny the cliche thing that actors always say is my dream role is the one who hasn't been written yet Um, because (laughs) everybody wants to like originate a role or do something in something new you know i um like there are a couple like i would really love to play king george in hamilton um you know i think that's like something that would be fun um I'd love another George. I would love to play George in Sunday in the Park with George. Um, in theater, those are the kind of two big ones that have always been, uh, well, not always been, but you know, that I, I, I'd i like to do. Um, but no, you know, I, I I just love performing. And if if somebody will will let me do it for a living, I'm, I'm happy to do um, to, to, to do what they'd like me to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, so often, you know, actors in New York City, it's we, uh, we, we just sort of go where the work is and it can be a little, um, it's a luxury to get to pick and choose, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so, um, so yeah, no, I don't, I, I guess I don't is the, is the short answer. Um, yeah. I, I just want to keep making a living, which uh, is, <laughs> is, I've been really fortunate to do so far. And, um, and I feel incredibly fortunate to get to do right now, given the times that um, we're living through and the, and the plight of so many of my friends who have had a really hard time sort of um, reestablishing a career um, at the end of the pen, well, not the end, we're, gosh, still way in the thick of it. But as theater starts to come back, you know, um, I'm, I'm happy to have a job to go back to. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and kind of, um, I don't know, do you just have any, is there anything right now that's just kind of getting you through these hard times, especially being in the heart of New York, you know, right now it's being hit really hard. Um, and, you know, everyone's kind of a little bit scared and just a little bit worried. Is there just like something that you can just, you know, look up on your phone or just something that kind of brings you joy in these tough times besides just, you know, doing your show, which is obviously, you know, probably brings you a lot of happiness and a lot of joy as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the main thing right now is I'm raising a puppy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I so, think I've seen your stories and stuff. Yeah, so we we adopted her a month ago yesterday, and um, she came from a rescue uh, in Kentucky. So we've been doing a lot of work with her to make sure that she, you know, feels safe and happy. Um, and that has been where 100% of my focus has been for the past four weeks. <laughs> I've had very little time to think about anything else, mm-hmm. um, which is great. So, I mean, I look at her. And she's the most gorgeous dog in the world. And that fills me with joy. But also, you know, to be so busy sort of caring for her and making sure she's alive has kept me occupied. Um, You know, for me, it's always just like uh, trying to, um, honestly, for me, it's more about what I avoid than what it is uh, that I do. So it's really been about trying to stay away from the scarier uh, corners of social media and doom scrolling on Twitter um and uh and instagram and trying to um fill my life with positive things and positive people and um and try to share love with as many people as i can and you know i think my biggest goal coming out of the pandemic was um as an introvert somebody who has uh, a little more a little more difficult of a time connecting i think with people sometimes um has just been to really like let people know how much I love and appreciate them. And if I can make somebody's day better, I try to do that. So looking for opportunities to, you know, to, to help people or to, um, or to, you know, just to, to, to help make somebody smile, you know? Um, and that's what I think a lot of the last couple of months has been about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and kind of finally just wrapping up, um, like, is there any other projects that you're working on currently that, you know, we can help support or anything like that? 
No, not right now. You know, I'm I'm you know all in on on Little Shop right now for for as long as I'm uh, contracted there. Um, no, I if I can plug something, I, I I'd love to plug my friend Tom Allen Robbins' uh, podcast um, on uh, Broadway Podcast Network. It's called Twits in Love. Um, and Christian, uh, so Tom Allen Robbins is our Moshnik, yeah. um, and um, he's written this incredible uh, podcast series. Uh, it's like a steampunk. Uh, it's it's really funny, really great. Uh, Christian is in it, uh, as well as a bunch of other sort of um, Broadway stars who um, who you might enjoy. Um, but I personally, no, I I I have nothing else. I'm uh, I just want to plug my friends as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I guess, I mean, whoever's listening, make sure you obviously follow Evan on Instagram and, you know, what other social medias, um, just make sure to support him as much as you can. Um, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and just thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to talk to me today, especially before your, you know, you have your show later where you get to see <laughs> more. <laughs> oh no, I'm so happy to. It's been so lovely reconnecting with you after all of this time. I mean, I can't yeah. believe we we would have met, what, two and a half years ago, I think probably we were at the Amundsen. So it's been lovely chatting with you. Yeah, well, thank you so much just for um, coming. And thank you to anyone who is listening, of course, once we put the podcast out. Um, and, you know, just thanks for all the support and for just a lovely time. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for checking out this episode of z podway remember to follow our instagram at z broadway that's z b r o a d w a y and check out evan on instagram at evan alexander smith we'll see you next time